Are you ready to challenge your rhetoric? Today is Tuesday, September 27th. My name is Gary Roberts, and I'm your host. I'm challenging the rhetoric. I've done a show, uh, several weeks in fact. I took a little bit of time off in order to move inland from the Oregon coast. So as of tonight's show, I am now living and broadcasting from Portland. And although for the first time in many months I wasn't actively reporting on the Oregon standoff, I was indeed still keeping up with what's been going on or most of what's been going on. I'm sure I've missed a few things. But there are certainly a handful of things that I do need to address tonight, and that's what we're going to do. We're now into the third week of the trial for seven of the individuals that are under indictment for their participation and or their leadership in the 41-day armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge that happened earlier this year. Uh, There are actually two Oregon standoff trials. The second is set to begin on Valentine's Day 2017. Initially, it was said that the first trial would take months, three months, maybe even more. Now, it isn't as clear, and the proceedings seem to be moving along quite swiftly. In fact, the prosecution rested their case at about 3.25 this afternoon, and that turns the floor over to the defense, and that's going to begin tomorrow. There was at least one big headline that came out while I was busy moving over the last few weeks. Testimony by Oregon State Trooper has fingered one of the challenging rhetoric guests, Mark McConnell, who's been a five-time guest on the show. Um, They have fingered him as some sort of a government informant, quote, informant. McConnell will be joining us once again after the trial is over, not tonight. Tonight, I'm going to address those allegations a little bit, and I'm going to pose a couple questions of my own for all of you to think about, and I'm going to play some clips from the first two shows that Mark McConnell was on. What may have been more of a surprise to many, though, that also came out is the fact that co-defendant Jason Blomgren, who is a witness for the prosecution, has yet to testify. And that was what had been said, that he was going to be a witness for the prosecution, and going to be testifying. They've now rested their case. I don't know if the defense is going to call Jason Blomgren. I suppose it's possible, and we'll probably soon know. But are they going to bring him out later on for the next trial? We'll see. Something's going on there. Uh, So his sentencing sentencing date, though, has also been moved. Uh, a, A motion was filed, and they have moved that date further out, and that's led to a little bit more of of the speculation that we're going to talk about tonight. So I want to make sure we also take some time to talk a bit about another co-defendant, Blaine Cooper. He's already pleaded out in both the Oregon and Nevada Bundy standoff cases, and he's been acting pretty erratic, as witnessed in several jailhouse calls that have been published on the Internet. So what's the scoop on Coop, and where has our little fluffy unicorn been? Because after months of silence regarding co-defendant, yet another co-defendant, Brian Buda Cavalier, who is allegedly a cooperating witness for the prosecution. We finally got a little tiny bit of nugget of news today, and um, we'll talk about that too. But before I jump back into the fray of (laughs) the Oregon standoff, here are the details you need in order to participate with me during the live show. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page. Ah, my music's firing off. Gang technology. You can interact with me on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric.news. You can find me on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. Tonight we're using the hashtag CTR, Oregon Standoff, and Bundy Trials. All the stories I cover uh, when I write them and publish them, they're generally all found on the website at challengingrhetoric.news. 
You can chat in the listener chat room during the live shows at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's spelled C-H-E-R-I. Click on show number 43. That's tonight's show. The chat room is beneath the image slider, and uh, if you're already on the page and you don't see the chat room and you're listening, hit your refresh and scroll back down under that. It should be there. Remember, this is a dialogue, not a debate. There's no personal attacks or trolling that's going to be tolerated on the social media or in the chat room. Uh, none of us can understand each other and the problems, which means we can't find solutions if we can't dialogue. And as always, if you're listening to an archive, <laughs> there's no live chat. <laughs> so here we go. Let's start with Mark McConnell, the elephant in the room. McConnell was the owner and the driver of the Jeep that Oregon standoff leader Ammon Bundy was riding in when state police and the FBI initiated a felony traffic stop on January 26th of this year to arrest Bundy, his brother Ryan, and several others for their participation in northern leadership in the armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge there near Burns, Oregon. So I want to play a, a clip, and here's a clip um, of Mark on the very first uh, show that he was a guest on, not my first show, his first guest appearance on my show, and he is talking specifically about why he stopped for the cops. Okay, Lavoie's vehicle was ahead of me. I wasn't, I, I was the chase vehicle. I wasn't the lead vehicle. Then okay. when we got driving down through there, uh, we knew that there was a heavy FBI presence because we had had a meeting on Saturday with Brandon Curtis and PPN, you know, the, about they were estimating there was about 300 agents that had moved in there along with various sheriff's departments from around the state. So we knew that there was a heavy presence. Uh, when we got riding up through there, you know, no, keeping that in mind, that there was a heavy presence and keeping in mind that this meeting right here was public knowledge and the road that it is on is there's one way to John Day and one way back you know so <clears throat> you guys are looking at all these different factors um, as we got rolling up through there Lavoie went by and that's when we caught sight of him when, when Brian and I caught sight of him and as I come up onto them just about in front of them they started rolling out behind us it didn't take much to figure out who they were you know, you've got between, say, 9 and 11 heavy-duty vehicles that are all sitting facing the road, you know, ready to roll out there at any point in time. That's not, you know, that's just not a group of snowmobilers out there playing around. That's somebody. And then they rolled out behind us, and when they did and hit their lights, I mean, that was just confirmation. So that's when I stopped. So that's when you stopped, according to Mark McConnell. But because McConnell himself wasn't arrested with the others, the supporters of what turned out to be a 41-day occupation immediately became suspicious, and they made a lot of public accusations on social media particularly, claiming that McConnell was a Fed, a quote-unquote Fed, or possibly an informant, but most of them leaned toward, the, toward the, the Fed aspect of it. And therefore, he and he alone was responsible in their mind for what they called an ambush that had resulted in not only the initial arrest, but also the shooting death of Rancho Lavoie Seneca. So, also from the first show, I'm going to play a clip um, of, of of Mark talking about of Mark McConnell talking about um, Lavoie Finicum and Lavoie Finicum taking off from the stop. There was no, there's no logical reason to take off, and I know people are are sitting there saying that, you know, well they should just let him go to the next county. Well, how much further do you want to neuter American law enforcement? How much further do you want to neuter American law enforcement? And I, and I find that to be a good statement. Regardless of whether Mark McConnell is just a private citizen or if he is a federal employee 
or if he is a private citizen who did some work for the federal government, we don't really know yet, and we'll get into all the reasons why we don't really know yet um, coming up here shortly. But the fact of the matter of that statement that he just made is really relevant and pertinent, and I've brought this up on other shows, and that is with the since 9-11 and since the influx afterwards of um, social media with the, the prolific growth of technology, the very, very rapid and expanding capabilities that we have with all of those things, it's beyond any kind of perfect trifecta. And it has somehow garnered a swath of the country and the population to believe for some reason that outing federal employees, outing undercover law enforcement, whether McConnell is or not, whether any names of any that are, uh, that were, um, with, relate, with relation to the Bundy cases comes out and, and further in the trials makes no difference. It, this, is, this is across the board with law enforcement. What is this weird obsession that's happening with wanting to out the very people that are supposedly there to be protecting us because no matter who the person is that's trying to out someone, expose someone today, tomorrow, if they needed that someone, they wouldn't hesitate to call and ask for help. So I think that people need to take a step back, all people. I think that we need to renegotiate in our minds what is this obsession with those sorts of things, what is this um, entertainment value that, that a lot of people get surrounding those sorts of things uh, from all sides of any equation. It's an interesting thing. But what's really sad about it, and, and, let's, and, and back to Mark McConnell, is regardless of what we ultimately find out more about him, if anything, there have been many death threats. Uh, there were a lot of death threats in those initial times, and then you know, it ebbed and flowed, and then since uh, this, this new disclosure um, that has, has come out in trials, there's been more. And, you know, not once in any of this has any of the Bundy supporters acknowledged that, that the people that have been arrested, at least some, if not all, that they may in fact have done something wrong or that maybe some of them have further plans that may have not been um, legal uh, and or, or may have in fact been violent. Um, so, you know, I, I asked Mark, <laughs> uh, and I asked him many times, and I'll, hear, I'll let you hear what I asked him. This was the actual very first question I asked Mark on my show the first time he came on the show. I'm going to start with you, Mark. Are you a Fed? No, actually I'm not. Well, you know, obviously that's one of the, the that's pretty much the, the big, big, big thing that, that is, you know, the big finger that's been being pointed at you. And, um, you know, for some of the reasons that you're, you're aware of, because people have contacted you, you know, you've done a couple of videos and stuff like that. So why don't you uh, address a couple of those reasons that people are accusing you of being a fed? Well, people get, on the, people get on the kick because I wasn't arrested. But there again, what crimes did I commit? You know, I was at the refuge, um, but I didn't support the taking of the refuge. I actually came out the night, you know, the night everything happened and stated my position clearly that I did not support it. You know, people get on the kick that he was armed. Well, yes, I was armed in accordance with Oregon law. You know, I did have a rifle on me. Um, that rifle was unloaded 
it wasn't a secured case, which makes it perfectly legal for transport. At no time did I have, did I run around with a long gun, gear, anything like that. Okay, so you heard Mark in his own words the first time he was on Challenging Rhetoric, me asking him if he is a Fed, and, and that's what he had to say. So here's the deal. Last Wednesday, a week ago, uh, during the trial, Oregon State Police Trooper Jeremiah Becker, as he said it, he testified that a government informant embedded with the occupiers, embedded with the occupiers at the refuge, was indeed Mark McConnell. It's completely unknown what prompted Becker to disclose this information. Uh, no question was specifically asked uh, with regards to uh, an informant. Um, no other uh, potential informant's names have, have yet to be named. Um, it was kind of rather random, and I've spoken with many people in and out of media who uh, agree with where did this come from. It was very uh, unexpected across the board except for a handful of people, and we'll get into that in just in just a minute. Um, so, you know, there's the other thing, too, about that is that, to my knowledge, there's no documentation to that was provided to back up Becker's testimony. Now, I'm not questioning Becker. However, there have been different mistakes that the feds have made, one of which was was or was not Ammon Bundy armed. Um, in, and, and specific to this particular thing I'm discussing, is in, at least twice in the the OSP incident report, the Deschutes County incident report for what had went down with the with the with felony stop and and the shooting of Lavoie Finnecum, mistakenly or not mistakenly, we don't know yet, but something is amiss there because they specifically named Brian Cavalier, Brian Buda Cavalier, as the driver of the Jeep, which belongs to Mark. And so did this, uh, uh, you know, Trooper Becker, did he, did he say Mark McConnell's name because of Bundy, you know, Fuhrer with all the, the rumors and just that name being thrown out there in that context over and over? Or did he say that name because it's true? Or did he mean to say Brian Cavalier? Is Brian Cavalier the informant or the Fed? We know that he's a cooperating witness of some sort. Um, and he still has not negotiated his plea in Nevada that we, you know. So I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions there. So unfortunately, what happens in this is that um, you know it, it further fuels just speculation. Right now, I'm speculating, but I'm speculating out some very relevant questions because those things are true. It does say that in the OSP report. There has been some confusion in documentation of the events. So, um, you know, I don't think that we have definitive answers, and I don't think that anybody should take anything for granted at, at this point. Becker said under oath that McConnell, that McConnell had told law enforcement that, that the occupation leaders were on the move toward John Day on January 26th, and that, had, that he had provided them information about the occupiers' vehicles, their location, and then also apparently or allegedly gave authorities a threat, a quote-unquote threat assessment. Well, some questions I'm not hearing answers to really are when, if it was McConnell or Cavalier or anyone else or many people, when did they do that? Because the way the testimony reads and the reporting of the testimony reads is, 
It's like, was, was, if, it, if it wasn't feed Mark McConnell, was he taxing while he was driving? Was he taxing, you know, uh, <laughs> you know his, the location and all that information while he was driving or while they were in town before they hit the highway? I mean, when, when did these things, where's the documentation, where's the obsession, where's the chain of events of, of how this, this transpired, if that is in, indeed the case? And the reason that I believe that that's important is because of all of the controversy and just the acrid uh, hate that has been thrown towards this man uh, by several handfuls of people, and real threat, real bodily harm, life threat. And not that he's necessarily complaining about that, but those things are real. And regardless of what he is or what he isn't, those things are unacceptable and in, in this life as human beings, and they certainly should also be unacceptable as Americans. I mean, that's the antithesis of what we're supposed to be about, especially for those that call themselves patriots. Um, I mean, I think you're missing some part of your own equation in that. So when Becker was testifying, he also had said that the uh, occupiers, the Alan Bundy and Brian, Brian Cavalier, were not armed at the time of their arrest, but he did say that Mark McConnell was carrying a semi-automatic handgun. Well, in the clip that I had just played, you heard Mark McConnell saying that he had a rifle that was not loaded, that was in a case in the vehicle. Becker didn't see anything about the rifle in the case unloaded in the vehicle. He's talking about a handgun. Well, it's common knowledge. Mark, Mark will tell you himself, Mark McConnell, um, you know, he's always got his finger on the tip. So is there, again, some confusion there? Did some, something have to do with Buddha? Because, you know, Buddha still has that, that disappearing missing gun charge arrest that he had when he suddenly left the refuge after arriving and then suddenly mysteriously came back. So there, there's, and because of the driver mix-up in the OSP reports, I think we all need to be very careful in our cheerleading of Mark for those that are cheerleading, and also in the lambasting for those that are that are lambasting. Um, the uh, information to you know to take the Bundys down and Shauna Cox and several others into custody. Like I said, Beckert is saying that that all came from Mark McConnell. So it should also be noted that. Um, Becker was very clear on this. He said he did not know whether McConnell was paid for uh, any of the information that he gave the government, and he didn't know whether or not McConnell was a member of the FBI or another of the, quote, three-letter agencies. So, again, very vague. Becker doesn't know. So where did the name McConnell come from, and where is kind of some accession to that name and how it fits into the, here in, in the more in the legit and proper context for public disclosure, disclosure for the safety of human beings and and so on and so forth. So you know it's all it's all speculation. No matter what he said there, there's not enough there for anybody to have any finite idea. And it's really all just speculation as to who and or what Mark McConnell is. Um, and you know, you heard him. I, I asked him, "Is he a Fed?" This is what he said. I'll start with you, Mark. Are you a Fed? No, actually, I'm not. Well, okay, you know, he says, no, actually, I'm not. All right, so if you remember, McConnell, you know, he went to Burns twice. So I, I want to go through some stuff uh, from some of the conversations that I had with him because it's been so long now. It's been months, and so many things have happened. And just to refresh some, some memories here, um, you know, remind you of, of, of what's going on. And, and I want to start with, um, a, 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 in this part, I want to start with a clip from Melvin Lee. And Melvin Lee is who Mark McConnell went to Burns with the first time. 
Melvin Lee is the co-founder of Patriotic Warriors. He's also been a guest on my show, obviously, on the clip of him. And here's what Melvin said uh, about why he himself uh, went to Burns. With regards to Melior Refuge, why did you go? I went for the rally. I didn't go for the refuge. Why did you go to Burns for the rally? I, w I was not going to, I wasn't going to go up there for the rally. But within my own groups, I, people started fighting within my own groups of exactly what was going on up there. So I decided to go up there and investigate and see what it was because I had individuals that was going up there. So I pretty much held everybody back within my organizations, and I went myself to see what was going on. So that that's pretty much why I went to the rally. Were there people uh, there that were connected to you, Melvin? Oh, uh, yeah, quite a few. And, Mark, were there people that went to Burns that were connected to you? Yes. Okay. So both Melvin Lee and Mark McConnell had people, militia members, members of their militia organizations, that were there at the Melior Refuge. That in itself is reason for both of them to have gone there, whether they were going in support or not. However, very well on the record, neither of these men supported that. Now, here's what people need to think with regards to McConnell and then moving forward with some of the other things that we're going to hear from Melvin is that if McConnell is in fact a Fed or an informant, then one would have to understand that that means that if he was a Fed, he's certainly been embedded into the movement for some time, not just with the Malia Refuge. If he's an informant, then the good questions that, that would be out there are many that you see particularly on Twitter, when, when did that transpire, um, if that's the case. Or are we really talking about Brian Buda Cavalier or someone else or multiple people here? Again, we need some documentation to show exactly what transpired. Now, let's hear Mark, as a refresher, say why he went to Burns. We heard why Melvin went to Burns. Now, Mark went, went, they went there together. Here's what Mark had to say. When you went, Mark, what was the reason you went for? The first time I went up there, I went up there to get a woman and her baby because she had went up there for the protest and had inadvertently got stranded, more or less. So I went up there to try to get her and that baby out of there, to which we did. Is it true that, in a sense, this young woman uh, felt a little cowed to get out herself with her own vehicle? She was feeling a little bit of pressure to leave her vehicle behind so others could use it for, you know, stuff, and but she didn't want to be at the refuge, and she started staying with some strangers in town? Uh, that's more or less what happened. They uh, they so, kept her truck up there at the refuge for supply runs. Okay, so the the young woman with the baby that is once again something that was also thrust out there again this week anew is now now the talk is, is that this woman and the ba baby were attached to Blaine Cooper that this was that this was Blaine Cooper's baby allegedly. Now there's no confirmation of that. There was all kinds of different things going on with many of these people, not all of these people, many of these people didn't even know each other. But there were some inner inner workings with several of these people. Is that true? Is it Blaine Cooper's baby? Was this one Blaine's lover or something? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't does that really matter? I don't know. What matters is that we, you know, we have Mel we have Mark talking about why he why he went to Burns. Now we're gonna hear Melvin and again they went there together. And Melvin is very respected, very kind, and, and gentle of heart man who 
to, I mean, dude's, dude's tough. Don't get me wrong. When I say gentle of heart, I'm not saying this dude's on any kind of pansy. This, this man's a lion. But the the thing is, is that, you know, Melvin is somebody that I think can reach across the board to many people, uh, many diverse people. And you don't have to agree with him on everything or even most things to like him and see that he has genuine heart and that he's a stand-up guy. So here is what Melvin had to say about, you know, you heard him say why he went to Burns. You heard Mark say why he went to Burns. And when Mark's talking about the girl and the baby, um, here's what Melvin had to say about about that and, and Mark's character. People is coming to, uh, you know, an idea that Mark's fit. And there's a, there's some information they don't don't know. So, number one, my interaction with Mark up there at that refuge for a couple of days, I didn't see nothing but, but honorable people, him being honorable. And he wasn't shy about the fact that he was against the takeover of that refuge. And I sat right there and watched him tell young men, the best thing you can do is go home, right along with myself. I watched that man protect that girl and that baby. I watched that man. We escorted them two females and that baby back to Arizona. We escorted them back. Now, why would a man drive all the way back to Arizona and then drive back up there? Why would a man do that? Hey, really, think about that. Think about the timing. Think about how it came to be. And keep that statement by Melvin in mind because you're going to hear from Melvin again, and it's going to... Um, you know, it's going to butt up with, not against, butt up with what he just said there and just to give even more context as we go a little further on. But, you know, there was a, there was a meeting, okay? There was a meeting in, in January, and, um, and, and Melvin is going to tell you in a clip here a little bit about his interaction with Blaine Cooper and John Ritzheimer with regards to the meeting and, and, the, and what was going on at Malheur, uh, there was a meeting on January 7th, uh, and after Mark McConnell and Melvin Lee had created kind of a stir by trying to get people to leave the refuge, Ryan Payne had called this meeting, and it was held in the chow hall at the refuge. And so here, here's what Melvin had to say um, about that meeting, uh, on the peripheral of that meeting, and this is him specifically talking to what he had to say to Blaine and, and John Ritzheimer. I was getting ready to go back home, and Blaine ended up texting me. Blaine was in the parking lot. So I went out, basically talked to uh, Blaine, basically chewed him out a little bit for the whole takeover thing. And then John Ritzheimer walked up. And then I turned to him, and I, I spoke to him about being a Marine. We don't do it this way, you know, blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that. That's when John told me that half the people wanted to, half the people didn't. Half the people wanted to, half the people didn't. Okay, so this is, um, you know, Melvin talking to the, the guys out there in the parking lot, and they're trying to, to get to get Melvin encouraged about what they're doing. They're trying to convince Melvin that they're, what they're doing is good and peaceful and all of this. Now, why would they be trying to convince Melvin of that? Because these were Melvin's guys, and these were Mark's guys. These people were... You know, the Bundys are now saying, and the and supporters are, Bundys aren't militia. They just used and needed the militia to achieve their goals. That's probably one of the closest to the true things that has come out of the, the Bundy camp since all this started. Um, and and, and the, re, the thing is, is that 
when I say a lot of these people didn't know each other, which I said a little bit ago, it's true. But that doesn't mean a lot of people within the actual militias didn't know each other. There are a, a couple groups of people that did know each other. And they may not have known each other intimately, uh, but they, at the very least, knew of each other. They had done other things together, and particularly those that were out of Arizona um, and, 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 you know, the people that we're going to be talking about tonight. So with that, keeping in mind, I want you to have a, a little bit of a better understanding of this January 7th meeting. So I'm going to let Mark McConnell tell you, again, this is from the first show that he did with me. I want you to listen to how he described that meeting and kind of what went down. I believe that Kyle did have a part in it because we did have a meeting up there, and everybody that was in the refuge at the time on January 7th unanimously voted to go ahead and take care of our arms and gear and shift from the refuge back down to the courthouse to turn this back into, in fact, a peaceful protest. Uh, I want to uh, hmm. just give a little context for the listeners. On January 7th was the day that Alan Bundy met with Sheriff Ward, and they had their handshake on camera. They were supposed to have a meeting the next day. Ammon had told Ward that he would think about leaving. That day, January 7th is the day that Mark is speaking of. That day, Mark was at the refuge. He was talking to the people there. He was trying to get them to go. Many of them wanted to go. Ryan Payne disagreed with what Mark was doing there. Ryan Payne called a meeting in what they called Chow Hall down there at the refuge. While that meeting was going on, LaVoy Finnecum, Ryan Bundy, and Adam Bundy were in HQ, which was the manager's office, at the refuge. Now, were they talking to somebody on the phone? What were they doing in that meeting? I don't know. But Ryan Payne called the meeting that Mark's talking about and about whether the people at the refuge wanted to leave. At that point in time, there were approximately 30 people that were occupying the refuge. Go ahead, Mark. Pick it up from there. Yeah, at that point in time, there was about 30 people, and we had all voted. Ryan brought it up for a vote, and everybody had voted to unanimously, I, I, I will add, that we were going to shift from the refuge, take care of the weapons, take care of all this. Because the refuge, everything logistically was poorly planned. Logistically, tactically, it was just a poor setup. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to shift everybody out of there. You know, one of the discussions was to move the, move the <clears throat> uh, mission from the refuge to private land, you know, one of the areas that was brought up was the Hammond Ranch, turn it symbolic. You know, we didn't realize that there was issues at that point in time. Um, the night of the 7th, you know, we had this vote. After that, Melvin and I left there, and we were supposed to have yet another meeting uh, Friday now, morning the on the vote, 8th. So, Mark, the vote, the vote was those people, it was unanimous except <clears> for <throat> one couple that were basically there squatting. Okay, that Correct. vote was unanimous against Ryan Payne and staying, and them and staying. The vote was to leave. Correct. 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 And there are yeah, many, we were, many witnesses we were all... of this. Correct. Yes, and I've okay, had numerous discussions with people that have been there about it. But we were supposed to, you know, have another meeting on Friday morning. While Melvin and I left, uh, we went back into town. There again, we were staying in town. We went back into town, picked up the girl, picked up the baby, went to the, re went to the restaurant to have dinner. And when we were there, we ran into uh, Eric Parker and, and another guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and just talking to him, you know, giving him a layout of what just happened up there. And at that point in time, we were told that the plan had already been nixed. Now, that was within an hour, hour and a half that that plan had been nixed. And it was, and it was nixed by Ammon Bundy. <clears throat> okay, so... Now you've heard a little further about this meeting. 
there's a lot of speculation as to who Amon Ryan and Lavoie Finnegan were speaking with in, in, in HQ while this, this meeting that Mark and Ryan Payne had, had, had gone down. There's a lot of speculation into exactly who and when that got nixed when people wanted to leave. A lot of people did leave. There was, we, we saw in regular corporate media and local media, we saw stories about uh, right, that, that evening and the next day of how a whole bunch of people left the refuge and it was down to like less than a dozen. And that was a direct result of this particular meeting and, and what had happened. Mark McConnell and Melvin Lee are responsible for many, many people leaving the refuge both times that, that Mark was there. And that saved a lot of lives for a lot of reasons. So regardless of what agenda Mark may or not have had, outside of simply wanting to get people to leave because this was a bad idea, all right, he did he did a good thing by by getting these people to leave. As as did Melvin Lee, and and Melvin Lee at no time, no time, believed. And and actually, before I say this statement, let me just say that Mark McConnell and Melvin Lee, I spoke with on a near daily basis for months on end, and sometimes multiple times a day. And we had many, many conversations. And I can tell you that during this, these situations of which you're hearing the stories from these gentlemen and these clips from their time on my show, at no time did Melvin Lee believe that Mark McConnell with the Fed or any kind of a government informant when those accusations had begun flying after that, the Bundy arrest. It was Melvin, okay, this, there's this video that Mark put out there, but it was Melvin who had coerced McConnell, kind of, uh, into making this video that ultimately only really exacerbated and fueled the whole Mark the Fed rumors. Whether they're rumors or not now, we don't know. You know, we, we'd like confirmation of that. However, those are the things that help fuel that and that was not Melvin's intention. And you're going to hear what Melvin said about why he had Mark make the video about Lavoie and what had happened so quickly after this event had transpired. And what I want everybody out there to understand, and I know all of y'all are listening, everybody couldn't understand why Mark put that video out. I'm the, I'm the responsible party of why he put that video out because I was pressing him to put that video out. Because I was sitting here, we was watching everybody go freaking nuts because, well, the first thing that came out, the boy was on his knees and they walked up and shot him in the face. The second story that came out, that he was laying on the ground and they walked up and shot him in his back. Do you know how many men across this country was throwing gear in vehicles? And then when Mark called me, well, actually he texted me, and then I called him. I was like, where, where the heck are you at? You know, he told me he was at a service station. He, he was trying to find a way back out to the refuge. And I told him, I said, hell, no, you're not going back out to the refuge, man. Well, I ain't got, a, I ain't got my ride. They took my Jeep. Hold on. I'll call Brandon Curtis, and I will have you picked up and take you over to the hotel. And that's what happened. Now, through conversations with Mark about what Shauna had told him, it was the boy wasn't on his knees, and they didn't shoot him in the face, and he wasn't laying down, and they didn't shoot him in the back. He started telling me what she had told him. I was like, we need to make a video on that. We need to get that out and where we can stop all of these guys that are headed your direction. Plain and simple. Some of those guys was my guys, and we could not shut them down. So that's why Mark so, made that video. So that's why Mark made that video for the last time. 
because we've heard this before. We've talked about this before. Chaos View on YouTube has talked about this before. I think uh, a few other YouTubers have also talked about this before. It's It's been pretty clear why Mark made the video, and the rumors from predominantly Bundy supporters and some Santilli supporters had been that Mark made that video for other reasons, but it was never Mark's idea to make the video. It was Melvin, by his own mouth. He wanted Mark to make that video. And so the people that are using that as their basis of all the rumors that they had created outside of the fact that he wasn't arrested, then you need to start, step back and at some point, you know, you, you're going to call the person who's telling you themselves over and over and over that, no, that's not the case. I'm the reason that they made the video and you call them a liar because that's what you're doing when you continue to perpetuate things. You have to have documentation to back things up. Uh, especially of, of that kind of a magnitude. Um, so anyhow, so like I said, Melvin Lee uh, was very much in support of Mark. Mark he, Melvin Lee had seen Mark's character and what he was doing and had backed that and, and felt that and, and vice versa. So, um, and now you know, again, if you hadn't heard before, why, why Mark made the, his, his little infamous video about what had happened so quickly after those arrests. So where does this really leave us so far? Well, again, Trooper Beckert claims McConnell is uh, at the least an informant, if not an actual Fed. Buddy supporters claim they knew it all along, but let me remind you, just like I'm playing reminder game all night on all this, let me remind you, those same supporters, those same very ones, they also continue to claim that LaVoy Finnegan was shot nine times, shot with his hands up, or even shot while laying on the ground. They're the ones that still claim that LaVoy was not armed, uh, nor was he reaching for a 9mm and that his vehicle was riddled with hundreds of bullets. None of those things is true. Uh, so were they right about McConnell? Well, even if, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? That's what they say. But there is still no clear documentation to substantiate any claims, theirs or, or even Beckert's. And, you know, that's sad to say, but I think kind of in this day for these kinds of cases, especially over these very controversial people and topics, those are important to have. None of that's been made. Supporters have continued to muddy the waters on all of these issues, uh, including, <laughs> if not especially, uh, Nevada Assemblywoman Michelle Fiore, who recently released, or somebody through her released, a secret recording that she took of Mark McConnell when the two met in Nevada after McConnell had been to the refuge twice after the refuge. Um, McConnell wanted to meet uh, somebody to give her... Ammon's some belongings that Ammon had left in his his Jeep, you know, at the time of his arrest. So I'm going to let you hear what Mark had to say about this meeting with Fiore. So those of you who have heard this, and I believe it's new release, maybe it's been out there. I only recently, recently heard it with a lot of other people over this past week. Um, but Fiore is, you know, grilling Mark and and uh, and so on and so forth. His take on the whole thing is typical Mark McConnell. Here's what he said. There was a time that you met with Michelle Fiore. Is that correct? Correct. Yes, you, when I come back can you from... Can talk about when that was and what that was about and all of that, and then we'll kind of go from there? Yeah. When I come back from Oregon the second time, I had Ammon's briefcase, uh, his hat, and his monogram Bible in my Jeep when I, it was, it was still in my Jeep when I got my Jeep back. Uh, I wanted to return that to the family. You know, Lisa would be a couple of hours in the, in the wrong direction for me. So, you know, with me having to come back down through and go through Vegas, 
I got a hold of uh, Jonathan Spies to either be the, either hand it off to him or hand it off, you know, right there at the Bundy Ranch. So <clears throat> as I come back as I come back down, you know, Jonathan, um, you know, we were talking back and forth, and he originally wanted to meet me in Mesquite, but we ended up meeting on on uh, I-15, I know at a old Nevada scale house, and uh, you know, I handed it off to him, and you could tell that he was him and hawing, he was pausing. You know, you could tell that he was dragging his feet with this whole get-together. Next thing you know, here comes Michelle Fiore. Well, Michelle shows up, you know, and she's she comes out of her truck, and, I mean, she's, well, she's Michelle Fiore. And, uh, you know, she starts asking me questions, which, to me, I'm the kind of, you know, I, I treat most people that if I don't owe you anything, I don't owe you anything. And she believed that apparently I owed her something, you know. So the conversation didn't go well. And I ended up leaving everything with Jonathan, and I went back to my Jeep, and I left. So in Fiori's recording, not only can you hear her badgering McConnell pretty much with every sentence out of her mouth, uh, badgering him with her suspicions. She clearly says that she does not believe a word he says, at least at the end after she walks away and she's out of his earshot or after he walks away. Assemblywoman Fiore, she has really been the root of many McConnell uh, and other rumors. We heard about uh, the former volunteer fire chief Chris Briles, Briles out from Harney County um, that he suddenly, you know, quit his job and sided with the Bundys, and Fiore put out a press release for cows. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with cows, uh, we, we've kind of thrown that word around a bit here tonight. Cows Coalition of Western States. Uh, put that in a Google search or search it out on challengingrhetoric.news and plenty will come up there. Anyways, uh, Fiori, you know, she she tends to, you know, fuel a lot of flames and and kind of, you know, just blow them and scatter them to the wind so that little fires become big infernos all over the place over different issues. And it's it's sad because a lot of it is is attention-getting and a lot of the people that follow her and support her and have believed in her, especially those that are that are in jail awaiting prison, you know, she is a part of why they're there. And the the support that still remains for her by some of these people is is baffling. Um, you know, with regard to her doing the actual recording, though, I, I would like to note that it, it appears that uh, first of all, Jonathan Jonathan Spies, Jonathan Skipper Spies, the Bundy supporter that Mark talks about. It sounds to me kind of like they, he kind of set McConnell up because Fiore kind of just showed up. So why would Fiore show up if Jonathan hadn't clued her in or or something? Regardless, you know, Fiore is there and she's obviously some sort of Fiore's own kind of ambush. So no wonder she likes the term ambush. Uh, she's she's like a little queen at it apparently, but you know she she kind of ambushes Mark and secretly records him and badgers him. Now you 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 heard Mark and he didn't really say anything, uh, really like in comparison. If you haven't heard Fiora's thing, and I'll, and I'll post that link up again. So if you haven't heard it, and and if if I if I forget tonight, please you know tag me on Twitter or Facebook or something and remind me, and I'll and I'll make sure you get it. I'm sure you can just Google it and it should come up, but. I mean, this woman has started a lot of a lot of issues, and the thing about what she did by recording 
Mark is the state she lives in, I believe is an all-party state or a two-party state, which is an all-party state. Um, and if that truly is the case, then what she did is actually illegal. And so that means that it's litigious. And so will Mark do something about that? I don't know. I have spoken to Mark since these, these, uh, this, this big, big headline came out, you know, in, in the court. I've spoken to Mark many times. Mark does intend to come on the show. I think I mentioned that um, at the top, uh, you know, when I opened, that he intends to come on the show once the trials are, o- are over, and um, and we'll kind of revisit some more of, of this stuff. But I have spoken with him, and um, and I I have spoken with him also with regards to the Fiore recording, and, you know, he, he did not know that Fiore was recording. He, she certainly did not have his permission. So uh, I believe that Fiore violated wiretap laws uh, there, and so we'll see what happens with that. I, again, I don't know if he's going to take any kind of legal action or not, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, if Fiore and, and the people that kind of are of her ilk, if it turns out that Mark w- was a fat or something to that extent, and, and she you know, violated wiretap laws, well, I don't know. I think that she would have a, a lot more meat to you know, doing something about it and Maybe that's the only way we'll ever see Fiore indicted, right? Because a lot of us, you know, have thought that the crimes that she has committed with regards to Oregon standoff is not somehow even with the Bundy Ranch that they're indictable. So, anyways, here's here, here's the thing: we have, you know, lots of lots and lots of stuff that's that's, that's happening. And because of that courtroom disclosure and the leaking of the Fiora video came out last week, you know, we kind of had to have this conversation tonight. And what's funny is um, those that, that, like, actively follow me on social media, they know that I've been moving. I've been in the process of the move, kind of a bit of a long-distance move. And still within the same state. I'm still in Oregon now, you know, in Portland, like I said. But as you know, I was at the coast, and there was a, there was a big process here. And so I've just gotten settled in. I had no idea anything was going to be said like that in court. So I, I've i been sent screenshots, and, and I've even gotten messages. And it's funny, there's a handful of people, and again, it's kind of these, still these same people that perpetuate these same things. They have literally thought that, or said, or perpetuated that I had gone in hiding because this, this had come out in court and marched on all my show so many times, and somehow, you know, either I have lied to somebody or I'm a fed or, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, the typical <laughs> baloney. So, and that was kind of funny, but, you know, I mean, these things come out and, you know, you never know what happens in the trials. And as, as, as the trial progresses and more information becomes available, we're going to revisit other statements that McConnell made on, on this show, uh, not only in the first couple of shows, but in the last three shows. And then some, and I encourage you, please go back through the archives and check them out. You can find the archives again at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts and C-H-E-R-I. Don't forget, that's important. And, uh, you know, scroll down. I think it starts, I think the first one was uh, April 13th, uh, show number 27 possibly in that batch. And you could probably, you know, just kind of start from there and, and work your way up to find whichever particular of the five shows you want to hear, if not all. You know, there are a lot of different things that he said. We talked quite in depth about several of the different key players as well as some of the lesser-known names that we heard and seen, uh, you know, in initial phases of arrest and, and some of the pretrial hearings and stuff like that. 
especially some of the younger guys. We spoke often about Jeffrey Stanek and Eric Flores, and we spoke prolifically about Jason Blomgren, Ryan Payne, and um, you know, and and Brian Cavalier, and so. I think as these trials continue to unfold, it's 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 worth your while to go back and listen to the shows. I think some of the context you'll find very interesting now. I know I did listening back uh, just for the clips for tonight's show, and um, and I'm going to continue to kind of just giggle and or you know kind of like hmm or whatever along the way just as I'm hearing it because it's you know enough time has passed where it. It's it's very, very relevant to now, uh, not just because of the controversy of, you know, who Mark may or may not work for or whatever, but the 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 different discussions on the on the different people. The context is so different now for those that that, you know, had missed all those earlier shows and even those who hadn't. Well, the Oregon and Nevada Bundy co defendant Blaine Cooper is kind of another story that I have or before I dropped off, I had been talking about quite a bit. And, you know, Blaine pleaded guilty in both Oregon and Nevada. He's in, indicted in both. And basically, Oregon is kind of a hand slap. He, for his plea deal, he, you know, it's going to be like time served. His time will be in Nevada, but it's still, you know, he, he got a good deal for what he could have got. But then, you know, as soon as he says that he makes this deal and why he made this deal and blah, 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 and it's because, you know, he's not going to, you know, turn like, like, Cavalier did, and da 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 da, and he just then he I don't know how many hours passed, you know, a day, or two days, or whatever. Then suddenly he he's going to revoke his plea, and then suddenly there's a personal video out about the whole Sarah Redbuck thing and mentioning Jamie Spears, and then there's another video call out about. I mean, it's just one thing. Oh, 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 yeah. About Mark, he had some really hateful things that I believe violated his uh, his potential plea deal. And I know that people have actually sent it to judges and attorneys and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's crazy. His behavior is like really, really erratic. And what does that mean? Because I I think that there's some context here when when he makes a plea deal and then he like vehemently says that that he's revoking it, he's going to do what he can to revoke it. His Oregon attorney has now, has filed this week, has filed a, a motion, and the judge granted it for his um, sentencing hearing to be moved, uh, you know, to be out there extended. And so they did that. And part of the reason, as Oregon attorney said, is that she anticipated that Blaine was going to return to Oregon and undergo consent to undergo psychological evaluation that that the attorney said would take months to um you know to 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 do as well as to to garner the report of of such and so that's one of her reasons that she one of two reasons that are on the motion why she wanted to extend that she got that extension so my question is is before people go out there and speculate even further, you know, sometimes we need to keep these things simple, and I and I and I say that all the time. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. You know, the whole sales tool, but you you can't go the far-reaching things. And blame may very well be trying to use mental health, stress, duress, or something to that effect in order to get out of a plea deal, or or something if that's the case. 
people say, well, if he already pleaded out, they wouldn't normally do this or whatever. But I would argue that maybe, and in some states or some situations, that, that they would if it is going to determine placement within a prison system or placement outside of a prison system within a mental health system. And so that also may be what's in play here. So there's, there's a few different variables, but whatever's going on with Lane Cooper, um, I, I do think he needs some help because his behavior, as I keep saying, has been really, really kind of uh, erratic. And, and I, I would argue that it's probably been that way off and on, at least, in, in huge portions of his life, similar to Jason Blomgren's. You know, Cooper has an extensive criminal record. His birth name is Stanley Hicks. He changed his name to Blaine Cooper after he had enlisted in the Marines, in the program of the Marines, and then he sold to show up for, you know, boot camp. Since his arrest uh, for the participation in the Oregon standoff and then the indictment for Nevada, you know, we've heard that he's been suicidal in jail. He's, you know, authorized all these crazy jailhouse calls that are from one extreme to the next, up, down, very bipolar-ish. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on there. So the psych evaluation of continuance is probably a good thing, regardless of what reason uh, he, he this is happening. If it does indeed have anything to do with him legitimately trying to revoke his plea or change his plea deal again back to not guilty, that would be quite interesting to see what happens in the case that would be sure to be something that could potentially make the case a little longer. The case has thus far, at least for the prosecution, gone quite quickly. We don't know how long it's going to take for the defense. It depends on how many of the like sovereign citizen motions, uh, not just with those that are representing themselves, but even some of the others tend to try to, if not file those kind of non-documents, talk, still that kind of talk. Um, but also, back to Budakal's lawyer real quick, because I want to make sure we touch on him, other than just mentioning his name. There's been a whole lot of silence about him for months now, uh, after we had heard that he was uh, going to be a cooperating witness. And so um, he pled guilty in Oregon as in a plea deal, and um, or he, his intention is to plead guilty. And the sentencing hearing, we didn't hear when it was going to be, da 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 well, it just came out yesterday or today, I can't remember which because of the news, my time's a little screwy, but that at the end of this week is his sentencing hearing. So it's, to me, it's kind of just quiet, and I think that if he's a cooperating witness, um, I, I'd be interested to hear what we're hearing about him. You know, what are we hearing about him? Are we hearing what Becker said in, in, in trial last week? Maybe, maybe not, who knows. Um, you know, but why are we hearing anything about this cooperating witness? What's he cooperating with? What's he said? What information? I mean, thus far what we saw from the prosecution who has now closed their case, there isn't anything that we weren't really already in the know of. So I don't understand what Buddha could have cooperated with. Maybe he's so fluffy. Fluffy he flies. I am not sure the question on that. Also, I want to touch base real quick on Jason Blomgram. He pleaded out really early um, and after he had been granted pretrial release. And as I have reported multiple times, Blomgren was part of the Bundy Tactical leaders, Ryan Payne's, his plan to um, use some explosives uh, around Mellier and around Harney County. And uh, now what we don't know is whether he's a hostile or cooperating witness only that he is a witness for the prosecution, and he was expected to testify. As I said earlier, he was expected to testify in this current trial for the prosecution, but that has not happened. They now rest their case. There's not been any explanations uh, as to why he did not testify. 
uh, nothing's been officially given. But what has been given is he also got a continuance for his sentencing with a new date that was granted by the judge. This date is in late April, which is after both the Oregon standoff trials. So that makes it extremely interesting. That leads me to believe that he, his potential testimony and information that, that is going to be relevant for the government's case is going to come out in the second trial. Um, now, will the defense, as I you know, teased that earlier, will the defense um, subpoena him, or will they have him testify? Is that going to happen? I don't know. We'll see. Today, the United States government, like I said, they rested the case against these first seven uh, defendants that included Ammon and Ryan Bundy. Tomorrow, the defense takes the floor, and there's no telling how long it's going to take before we get anywhere near the, um, you know, the whole jury deliberation. There's no telling what the outcome is actually going to be in this trial. Who's who who is going to be um, charges dropped? Like go uh, all of that. Who may who will actually in actuality go to prison? And then don't forget second Oregon standoff trial, Valentine's Day, February 2017, and the Nevada Bundy Ranch trials also in February of 2017. A lot coming up. We're not done with these cases. There's going to be more things like this cropping up. Who knows what's going to happen in reactions to some of the things that come out as outcomes in these trials as well. Um, what we do know is it's been really kind of a hell of a ride for spectators and supporters alike, and many lives have been forever changed. Lives not just of those who have family members in jail and or facing prison, not just those who participated in some way in the standoff, not just those who are ranchers or farmers, but also to those that have been interested in the cases and the causes and the people in all ways, um, those still yet to come, depending on outcomes of these cases. This has touched a lot of people that don't even realize that it's touching them yet. If you uh, have not, sorry, if you have not caught, uh, oh, by the way, I want to give a quick plug because I'm really enjoying it. If you haven't caught OPB's new podcast that's covering the trial, be sure be sure to go over to opb.org forward slash burns, and it'll redirect you right over, and you can get caught up. The podcast is called, uh, this land is our land, and I myself, I am a fan and an avid listener, and I, I highly suggest it. Remember, our words have power. My words, your words, they have impact. What is the impact that you and your words are making? It's up to each of us to take responsibility for the propaganda we participate in, whether we create it or curate it. Mass disinformation is caused as much by alternative and independent media and social media as it is by governments and corporate media. Propaganda goes always, not just your way, my way, or both ways. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others, you know you can find the archives on Blog Talk Radio, Podbean, and on the website at challengingrhetoric.news. If you like what I'm doing, please share my work whether it's my shows or the articles or both. And if you really, really, really want to show your love for what I do, all gratuities to my PayPal are greatly appreciated. And they allow me to focus on bringing you... I do it with heart, too. So I'll be back, guess what, live tomorrow, Wednesday, September 28th, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be another enlightening show, and you don't want to miss it. It's also a special show for me, as it marks Challenging the Rhetoric's two-year anniversary of being on air. Until then, be kind to one another, whether you like each other or not. Be open to people and ideas, those that challenge your own rhetoric, those that challenge everything. That's it for me tonight. Thanks for listening. Love ya.